All right, all right, everybody. Well, welcome again uh, to uh, Center Church. Welcome this morning. And as you can see, we are starting a new series for this summer uh, called Summer in the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are really God's uh, playlist for our hearts. Uh, these are songs that God gave the Old Testament people, his treasured people, that they could sing and know more about who he is and, and what he has done. So we're excited over the next few weeks over this summer to look at some of the favorite psalms from a different staff and leaders in our church to be able to share how God has used these psalms in our heart and in our lives to be a blessing to you as you are following Jesus as well. So we're excited uh, for these next six weeks or so over the summer to uh, look through uh, some of the psalms together. Uh, this morning, uh, we've got the privilege uh, to have a guest preacher joining us uh, from the Summit Church down in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Uh, the Summit Church is the church that trained us up and sent about 50 of us to move up here about five years ago to plant and to start Center church. If that's new and exciting to you, you've never heard that before, join us for the weekender. That's going to be the place to learn more about who we are and how you can get connected. Uh, but uh, Wes was, it was and is uh, the college pastor at the Summit Church. Uh, he was my first boss in ministry. He's been a mentor for a number of years. There's a number of times I've called him up, asked him for some advice and some questions, and he's uh, helped me figure out some things. Uh, so I'm grateful to him. He's an awesome, godly example as a father, as a husband, and ultimately as a follower of Jesus. And he is a great and gifted teacher of God's word. So it's a huge privilege that we have him today. I want to invite him up and we'll give him a warm center church welcome. Thanks, Thanks Justin. I appreciate that. So just so you know, if there's any bad decisions that were made, you know, by leadership, that might've been me. I'm just sorry about that. I just didn't know. So I did my best. Okay. Um, so like he said, uh, I'm at the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham. And so just so you know, uh, like he said, around maybe like five years ago or so, we sent out, uh, out of those 50, maybe a 15 or so were college students that graduated from our ministry, were sent out. People like Noah, I saw Jordan and Macy over there and Reed, just some other ones that are here. Some different uh, people who graduated from our college ministry to help start this church. And I wanna tell you that because I, I, this is my first time here. I haven't met hardly any of you, but I want you to know that this church has been such a, an example to me and an example to hundreds of college students um, all over because basically every single year we've been giving updates, telling stories of what God has been doing here in Charlottesville. So just so you know, what God is doing in Charlottesville is not just staying here. God is using what he is doing in Charlottesville to encourage college students all over the world. And it really is an honor and privilege to get to be here and speak with you guys today. Um, but also I just wanna say happy Father's Day uh, to all you, all you dads out there. I became a father uh, May 15th. 2018, that uh, morning started off pretty normal, like most mornings, but then eventually we went to the hospital that day. We went to the delivery room. I'm not gonna get into that because nobody can be prepared for what happens in that room. So that kind of all that happens. Then after that, this is kind of crazy. I, I, remember, I remember that you know they handed uh, my daughter Joni to me and I remember like holding her and as I'm holding her, I just remember this unbelievable love just coming from my heart towards her. I couldn't believe I could love some little thing, you know, so much at that moment. But then what's crazy is that then they go and they give you, they put you into like another room and they kind of help you for a day or two. And then they say, all right, go ahead, you can go home. I'm like, that's it? We just go home? Like, I don't have to take a test or anything to make sure I can like do this? You know, I'm like, you know, like for a driver's test, like, is there like a learning period? Like somebody comes home and parents with us for six months to make sure we can do it before we get out there. But it's just a crazy experience. They, they just kind of send you home with your kid. And I remember, uh, Molly and I like, when we, you know, we take Joni, 
We put her uh, in the car and I remember us like turning, looking like, this is our kid, like she's ours. And like her existence is based on us right now. Like it's a a lot of weight, you know? And so we kind of leave and drive home. But then I also remember not only is it like her physical survival is based off us, on, based off us, which is enough by itself. I'm also thinking in that moment, also her spiritual development is on us as well as parents, and we have a very unique role in her life. I say that for this reason. A.W. Tozer has this quote that's pretty interesting. He says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The reason he says that is, Who we view God to be is going to impact the way that we live our lives. And here's why I bring that up on Father's Day. I bring that up because how we have experienced our earthly father is going to impact the way that you view your heavenly one. The way that you have experienced your earthly father is going to impact the way that you view your heavenly one. And so for many of us, maybe maybe you had amazing parents. I had a great dad right, who was very, you know, present and involved in my life. But still with that, there were some things about our relationship that impact the way that I view God in a negative way. And so in the same way, a lot of us, I just know I've been in college ministry, I've been around a lot of students and a lot of people's lives, and I know that there's a lot of wounds that we have from our fathers. And so today, whether you had an amazing dad or an absent father, we wanna talk about the fatherhood of God. Now, one thing that's important to understand, I think, about this generation that's coming up is they're kind of known as the fatherless generation. One in four people, who are growing up right now are growing up without a dad at home. One in four. And the implications of that are huge. They're four times as likely to be in poverty. They're more likely to suffer from emotional behavior problems. They're twice as likely to drop out of school, more likely to go to prison, all these different things. It's clear that God has designed us to have a good, loving, stable home with dads there. And I know that unfortunately, many of you probably didn't have that. Maybe your father was absent. Whether that was that you never, you just never met him, or maybe it's that you had that terrible conversation where he sits down with you and your siblings and he says, hey, me and your mom are having some problems and he leaves and never comes back. Or maybe tragically he passed away. Whatever the reason, I know that many of you have grown up without a father present and has a lot of impact on your life. But maybe your father was there physically, he just wasn't there emotionally. He did the bare minimum, really. He, he provided food and shelter, which is great, but he never really engaged your heart. He never really told you that he loved you. Or maybe you had an inconsistent dad. He was there sometimes, but others not. He would come in and out of your life and he would make big promises and sometimes he would come through, but oftentimes he wouldn't. Or maybe when you, you just never knew what you're gonna get into with him. Maybe sometimes he would come home and be full of love and so excited and shower you with love, but maybe sometimes he would come home and explode in rage. You didn't know what you're gonna get. Or maybe you just had a performance-minded dad. You kind of knew that your relationship with him was based off your performance. Whether it was how well you did in school, how well you did in, uh, how well you did in sports, just whatever it is, you knew that your love was tied to your performance. Or maybe you just had an amazing, intentional father who cared for you, who, who told you he loved you often, who sat you down and had a sex talk with you, who taught you how to follow God, who was present and involved in your life. And you are the man or woman you are today because of him. And, and none of this, well, whoever your dad was, none of this is to intentionally speak bad about your father. He was probably doing the best that he could. Maybe he had something in his past that was experiencing, that was kind of the way that he, he was uh, as a dad. Or maybe he was just stressed out by life. Whatever it is, here's what I want you to know. Before we jump into today, here's what I want you to know. Your heavenly father, I mean, yeah, your heavenly father is not a reflection of your earthly father, but a perfection of him. Your heavenly father is not a reflection of your earthly father, but he is a perfection of him. See, some of us have had great dads who have mirrored what God is like to us, which is amazing. But tragically, many of us have not had that in our lives. And thinking of God as a father 
is actually a really barrier to growing an intimacy with him. And so today what I wanna talk about, I want us to not look at our earthly father to try to see what God is like. Instead, I want us to look at the scriptures to see who God says that he is as our father and let that inform us. Dane Ortland has this quote, I think it's really interesting. He says this, he says, the Christian life is the long journey of letting our natural assumptions about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced by God's own insistence on who he is. Here's my prayer for today. My prayer for today is that many of us have assumed a lot of things about God because of our earthly father. I'm praying as we go through scripture today, I pray many of those will fall away as we see who God insists that he is. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 103. We're gonna be in Psalm 103. So we're jumping off uh, this series in the Psalms. So we're gonna look at the first and second verse and then we'll skip down to verse eight. So this is what it says. Psalm 103, verse one says, "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits.'" Then jump down to verse eight, it says, "'The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to, his iniqu- according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to, to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust." Now, this is a Psalm of David, and David is starting off by saying, hey, you know, bless the Lord, praise the Lord for who he is, and he's saying, don't forget all the benefits of knowing God as your father. That's kind of the main point of this text. And today, I just want us to talk about three different ways that we can relate to God as father, and then talk through how that impacts our life, but a lot of this is gonna come from verse eight, and what you need to know about verse eight is verse eight is pretty much word for word from Exodus 34. And in Exodus 34 is God really explaining to Moses who he is. God is is God describing himself to Moses. So this is straight from God saying, this is actually who I am and who I am as a father. And the first thing we see God is, is God is compassionate. Look at verse eight. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. That word merciful can often be translated compassionate. It's a deeply emotional word. We see it later in verse 13 where it says, as a father shows compassion towards his children, so the Lord shows compassion to, to those who fear him. Verse, uh, and we see it again in Isaiah 49, 15, where it says this. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not. Here God is saying, think about nursing mothers and how much they think about and are aware of their kids. Like when, I, when Molly and I had our first child, I remember being amazed and how we would just be, you know, like just sitting a bit, laying in bed and she's like silent and just nothing. And the smallest little peep that our daughter would make, like my, my wife would like jump up, right? And she would like go and like make sure like, you know, Joni had everything you needed. And I remember, you know, oftentimes, like sometimes I would just like, basically I would like sleep all night and get up and I'd be like, I can't believe it. Like Joni slept through the night. That was like amazing, you know? And mom was like, no, she didn't. <laughs> like she woke up like 10 times, right? And so I knew after that, like I basically never said if Joni slept through the night or not because I knew I had no idea. But it was amazing that this happened, that God had put such compassion in my wife that even when she was sleeping, she was aware of how her child was doing. And God is saying, that is what he is like. He actually goes farther and says, even a nursing mother might forget, but I will never forget you. We see that God has unbelievable compassion towards us. But look at verse 13. It says that he is compassionate to us. And then verse 14, it says, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. This is really important to get. God is not compassionate towards you because you have it all together because you are strong or because you are awesome. Actually, quite the opposite. 
God's compassionate towards us because he knows we're weak. He knows that we're a mess. He knows that we're falling apart and we don't have it all together. He knows that we are dust. And what does our weakness draw out of God? His compassion. A couple of years ago, actually this, this last Christmas, uh, me and my older daughter, uh, me and my daughter Joni, we were at this, like, um, this Christmas um, event thing and then we were driving back home and my wife was staying home with my son Dawson and I get a phone call from Molly saying that Dawson is not doing so great and that he has really high fever and you know, all these different things and eventually she says, actually he's like kind of like shaking uncontrollably and so she like calls, you know, she like hangs up, calls 911, everything. I get there, like I'm, I'm walking in with Joni and there's like, you know, there's like the ambulances there and like the fire truck is there, all these different things and we go in, you know, and I see my son there um, and I can just tell like things are not going good. And so I, I pick him up, I, I go and I put him in the car and I drive him to the emergency room. They know we're coming. As soon as I get to the emergency room, like they take us, they put us back in the back room and they hook him up to all these different things. And I remember just sitting there because like watching him because you know, he can't, he's not eating. He can't really drink at this time. He, he can barely even breathe. And like, he's barely even like, you know, awake, conscious and different things. And I remember as I'm seeing my son just unbelievably weak and unbelievably frail in that moment. I remember just in my heart, this unbelievable compassion for him. And if you're a parent, you've, you've experienced this. Even though I'm not going through what he's going through, I'm, 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 ex- I'm feeling it, experiencing it like I am. It's like what had happened in that time, in that moment, it's like I had tied myself to him. And as he experiences that, I experience it as well. That's what God is saying. When you go through suffering and difficulty, God is not indifferent. God is compassionate to us in our weakness. And he's saying he's tied himself and he feels it himself as well. But not only is he, I think this is really important, not only is God compassionate in our suffering, God is also compassionate in our sin. Here's how I know this. There's another story. It's actually Jesus is telling this story and it's in Luke 15. You probably heard the story, it's a well-known story. And basically this time is there's this, uh, there's this father and the son and the son comes up to the father and says, hey dad, um, basically I want my inheritance right now which basically just means like, dad, I don't really care about you. You're as good as dead to me. I just want your money. I don't want your presence. I want your money. And so the dad actually gives him his inheritance, gives him his money. The son goes over, kind of does some wild living, crazy living, wastes all his money, finds himself actually just uh, in, he's basically taking care of pigs and he sees the pig slop that they're eating and saying, man, I wish I had that. That's how, that's how bad it got for him. And he said, I wish I had that. And then it says he comes to his senses and he realizes that actually being his, his um, it would be better to be a servant in his dad's house than the life he has now. And so he picks himself up and he starts going home. And I'm imagining as he's going home to see his father, he starts coming up with this kind of like, you know, how he wants to talk to his father. Hey dad, I know I messed up, but I'm, I'm not trying to be a son again. I just wanna be a servant. I just wanna work for you just so I can kind of, you know, get some of the good things of being your servant. And this is what we see in um, Luke 15, 20. It says this. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, what happens is the son comes back and the son is trying to talk his way back into his dad to to be a servant, and his dad will have none of it. His dad instead runs out to meet him, gives him a giant hug, and throws him the biggest party the town had ever seen. That is how God feels about you. When we are in our sin, I think we can think that God is actually standing back, arms crossed, scolding us, when actually he is looking out for us, arms wide open, ready to receive us back in. That is how God feels about you. 
Maybe you grew up with a dad who wasn't emotionally present. But what you need to know is that you have a heavenly father who longs to draw you in, who longs for you to be in his presence. The Bible actually says that God is rich in mercy. He's rich in compassion. That means he has more than enough. His mercy and compassion is overflowing towards us when we mess up. So a good question is like, is this how you view God? Do you view him as someone who has deep love and compassion for you? I think the way you can discern this is what do you do when you sin? When you sin, do you wallow in shame or do you run back to a father who has open arms ready for you? Do you think of God as someone who tolerates you or do you think of God who's someone who longs for you to be in his presence? We have a compassionate father. But not only is he compassionate, he's also patient. The second thing we see is that he's slow to anger. This word slow to anger, it actually means long of the nostrils, which is kind of a weird way to describe it. But basically what it's saying is like, think of a, of a bull that's like really mad and like a raging bull, his nostrils are like flared. He said, this is, God is not like that. That God is actually slow to anger. God is abounding in steadfast love and rich in mercy. God's love does not need to be provoked. His love basically just naturally explodes from his heart, but his anger has to be provoked and his anger is slow. We see here that God does not have a temper. God does not lose his cool. I can be honest, as a father, I lose my cool every now and then. I don't know if any other dads have done that. Like even like this last week, like I was trying to rush out the house and do these, all these different things and I gave one of my kids like a, a, a smoothie that was my fault. I gave her a smoothie on the couch. That was on me, right? But then, that, but then right before I left, right, the purple smoothie just got, you know, poured out all over the couch, you know? And I was being honest, I lost my cool a little bit that moment, right? I was not the perfect dad in that moment. But here's the thing, God's not like that. God's never in a rush. God's never stressed out. He doesn't come home from work tired, right? God is always patient with us. God doesn't lose it. But maybe you had a dad that lost his temper, and you felt like you had to tiptoe around him because you didn't want to set him off. And maybe you just didn't want to get him frustrated at times because you didn't know what would happen if you did. What I need you to know is that God is not like that. God is never out of control. God doesn't rage. See, sometimes as parents, see, sometimes as parents, you punish your kids because you know that that's what's best for them. But if we're honest, sometimes we punish our kids because we're just mad, right? Now that's like parenting 101, don't, you know, don't punish your kids when you're mad, but sometimes we do it. But God is not like that. God's anger towards his children is never because of retribution or payback. He is always, always, always in control of his anger. So if you're experiencing pain in your life, what you need to know is that God is not playing games with you. He has not lost his cool. His anger is always measured. But it also says, the second thing this passage says is that God does get angry, which might sound kind of weird. Like, isn't he supposed to be a God of love? So why would he be getting angry anyway? But I think it's important to see that love and anger are not opposite emotions. Actually, the opposite of love is not anger, but indifference. I think it's the theologian Taylor Swift who taught us about that, but it's true, it's really good. <laughs> and here's one of the things. Parent, see, one kind of a parent struggles with anger, which leads them to a temper. But another kind of parent is just indifferent. They're detached, they're detached, neglectful. And sometimes that kind of a parent can be just as bad as the other. This kind of a parent never punishes or corrects you because they are not involved enough to really care but God is not like that. God is way too loving to be indifferent towards his kids. I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine someone that you really love. Imagine that person being hurt or mistreated. Or then think about things in society when you see some giant injustice in our society. What happens within you? You begin to get this righteous anger at that person or that thing going on in society, right? And why do you get that? 
You get that because of love, right? Because, because of love, because you love this person, you get the righteous anger because you care about people, you get this righteous anger to the, towards the world. Now, now, that is you as a flawed human being. Now, I want you to think about the creator of the universe, the most loving being the world has ever seen. Imagine how he feels when someone that he loves is being mistreated or he sees injustice in the world. You see this unbelievable righteous anger. See, God is too loving to be indifferent. He's too loving not to step in when he sees us making harmful choices. Like for example, if my kids were to lie, they've started lying, right? I would eventually step in, why? Because I know how lying will impact their life if they become a liar. Or let's say even worse, you know, let's say my kids begin to like do drugs. Eventually I'm gonna step in because I love them too much to let them just keep on that path. Here's the thing, God loves us too much to be indifferent towards us. He's not a permissive parent who just says, yeah, I don't really care, go for it. No, he's an involved father who wants to mold us into the people he's making us into. And his love requires for him to step in. Hebrews says that God only disciplines those he loves. So if you're experiencing the discipline of the Lord, know that it's not payback or retribution. This is coming from the heart of a patient, measured father who only wants what's best for you. When I was, um, when I was in the second grade, uh, it was around uh, Christmas, it was actually Christmas day, second grade. I remember I was sitting there, it was me and all my cousins and we're playing this game called channel surfing where basically you just pick a card and it says like baseball and you just, you know, flip the channel so you found baseball. But that has nothing to do with their story. That's just, that's, that was the game we were playing. So anyway, we're just sitting there doing that. And I remember sitting there, I'm playing the game with all my cousins. And then out of nowhere, one of my cousins comes by, picks me up, throws me down and begins to beat me with a pillow. And then my uncle comes up after them, throws me on his shoulder and then runs out. Now, just, you know, that's like normal behavior for, our, for my family. That's not what we do, like, you know, most of them. Throws me on his shoulder, puts me in the car, right? Puts me and then heads to the hospital. I get to the hospital, I'm still not really sure what's happening. The government's like, what's going on? Eventually they tell me what happened was, so I'm playing this little game and I'm sitting on this little, you know, table. Behind me, there was this little bitty candle, little bitty flame about like that big that somehow had caught my uh, shirt on fire. And before I noticed it, my entire shirt was in flames. And at that point I had second and third degree burns all over my back. This is as a second grader. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a, a burn or anything like that, but one of the things that, uh, that can be tough about really bad burns is that you, begin to, that you begin to get scar tissue. They begin to scar up. Now I, you know, like if you get a cut on your arm and you have a scar, it's no big deal. Like a scar is a good thing. But if your entire back is like that and have entire, my entire back is scarred up, if I had an entire back that was just scarred up and they let the scar grow, I would be basically deformed the way it would grow back. And so basically what would happen is every, um, every night, my dad, my dad said he would get a pit in his stomach, okay? Now you gotta think, my dad is like a man's man. He's like a hunting, fishing, like don't think about me at all. He's like a man's man. He's like this whole <laughs> different thing. And so he's sitting there and he would take me, and he said in a pit in his stomach, he would take me, take his second grade son, and he would put me in the bath. He would slowly unwrap the gauze that were wrapped around me. And then he would see the little scar tissue that had built up on my back that day. And he would take this, basically this brush, and he would have to scrub off very slowly all the scar tissue that was building up on me. And as a second grader, I would look at my dad and I'd say, Dad, what are you doing? Dad, why are you doing? Now, sometimes I would literally yell at him, Dad, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? Now, because as a second, I couldn't understand what was going on. But was it that my dad hated me? No. My dad loved me. And he was too committed not to step in that moment to help me become, 
Help me not be this deformed person, but to become who I was called to be. Here's what you need to know. God loves you too much not to step in. If you're going through pain and difficulty, he's not indifferent. And he can use it to help you become the person he's called you to be. God is not some permissive parent who doesn't care. He's not some jerk who just gets angry. He's a kind father who is stepping in to your life. But lastly, we see that he's not only is he compassionate towards us, is he patient with us, but finally he's committed to us. It says that he's abounding in steadfast love. Now this word steadfast love is actually the, the Hebrew word hased, and it's probably one of the most important words in the entire Old Testament. It's used over 250 times. Over half of those are right here in the Psalms. It's, the, it's defined as steadfast love, unfailing love, covenant loyalty. There's lots of different ways they can find, define it. It's kind of hard to describe. It's like, try, it's like trying to describe a sunset. You know it's beautiful, but it's hard to put into words. And what it means is it's, it's God's special commitment to his people. It's an unbreakable covenant bond. It's basically God saying, I love you and I'm committed to you no matter what. It's the idea of covenant. We don't talk about covenants a lot, but the best representative we have of covenants today is, is marriages. So basically, when you get married, you stand before your spouse and you say your wedding vows. And if you listen to wedding vows, wedding vows are almost always a, about a future love, not a present love. It's a promise to love and care and serve for your spouse no matter what, in sickness and in health, as long as you both shall live. It's not just saying, I love you right now. It's saying, I'm gonna love you the rest of our lives. It's a commitment to love even in the future. And that's what God says right here, is that he has made a covenant with us and he is committed to us no matter what. And if you grew up in a stable home, that's probably easy to believe. But if you grew up in a home that was, that was divorced or by a father that wasn't present, it might be hard to believe that God is a committed father. This last week, I was talking to one of my friends and he was a friend whose his dad left pretty early on. And he said to me that now, in almost every one of his relationships, he seeks affection and he, and he seeks affirmation just to be reminded that person's gonna stay. That he's always afraid of in any friendship, in any friendship that somebody's gonna leave him. Because there's something deep inside of us that is afraid of being abandoned. And here, God is from the beginning saying, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I'm 100% committed to this relationship. He is saying that, and he's saying that the, his commitment to the relationship is also not based off our performance. See, basically the entire story of scripture is a picture of God being committed to people who are not committed to him. That's basically the, the whole Bible. Like I said, Exodus 34 is where this is written, but where this is from. But if you know what happens in Exodus 34, this is actually what happens in Exodus 34. Exodus 34 is that God hears the people crying out in Egypt. He goes and he sends all these plagues to get them out. Then they kind of get out and then they have this, um, then they get to the, you know, the Red Sea and he parts the Red Sea, this unbelievable miracle, all these things. He gets up to Mount Sinai. They get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and when they're up there in Mount Sinai, all of a sudden the people are like, where'd Moses go? Is he gonna come back down? Is God really gonna take care of us? You know what? They said, you know what let's do? Let's actually take all of our gold together and let's make a golden calf. And they make a golden calf and fall down and worship it after God had done all those things for them. Now, God could have in that moment just wiped his hands clean of them and just destroyed them in that moment. Said, you've, you've already rebelled against me. I'm not committed to you. But actually what God does is he relents of his anger and he says this in Exodus 34, I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He says from the get-go, my unwavering commitment, even when it's not earned. Or think about the book of Hosea. If you know the book of Hosea, the people have sinned against God by worshiping idols. 
And instead of destroying them, God tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute who cheats on him. And then he commands Hosea to go pay to get her out of slavery slavery and to stay with her. It's a picture of God's refusal to divorce his people when he has every right and instead to commit to them. God is a God of hesed, steadfast love. He is totally committed to us even when we don't deserve it. What you need to know is that your heavenly father is not going anywhere. But this is important to know. God's commitment to us came in a cost. His commitment came in a cost. So you can always tell how committed someone is by what they're willing to sacrifice for it. Like you can tell somebody's committed to a sport by how much they're willing to practice. You can tell how committed someone is to a business by how much they're willing to invest, how much they're willing to work. Like my wife could tell like I was committed to get married because like I had to eat PB&J for like six months just to buy the ring. That shows like I'm in. But you can tell God's commitment to you by the sacrifice it took for him to be in relationship with you. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. See, God had a problem. The problem is, the question is like, how could God be in relationship with a people who have sinned against him? God is merciful and gracious, yes, but he's also holy and just. He is too holy just to overlook our sin. He's too just to let our sin go unpunished. So the problem God had was that he wanted to be in relationship with us, but our sin stood in the way. He had to deal with our transgressions so he can be in relationship with us. And the cost that God the Father was willing to pay to be in relationship with us was the cost of his very son. Think about this. God owns it all. The creator, sustainer of the universe, everything belongs to him. And there is nothing that is more precious to him than his only son, And that is what he was willing to give up to be in relationship with you. See, what happened on the cross is God the Father treated Christ, the Son, like he was us, so that he could treat us like we were Christ. On the cross, God took all of our transgressions and iniquities and put them on Jesus, and Jesus received the wrath of God. If you remember, on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who had always referred to God as Father, on the cross, the Father forsook his Son so he could forever commit to you. Because Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can pray, our Father. Jesus was forsaken so you could have God as Father. And now, because Jesus has paid for our sins, God can say to us, I will not deal with you according to your sins because they have already been dealt with at the cross. Your transgressions are as far as removed as the east is from the west because they were removed from you on the cross. And my love for you is as high as the heavens. His love for us is unending. So if you ever wonder, is God going to leave me? Is God going to leave like my earthly father? Look at the cross. The cross is God screaming at you, I'm all in and I am committed to you forever. If God was ever going to leave us, it would have been before the cross, not after. The cross shows his unwavering commitment to be in relationship with us. So because here's three questions I have for you. First is, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? This has kind of been assumed throughout, but you have to realize that being a child of God is not automatic. The Bible teaches that all of us are created by God, but not all of us are children of God. John 1, 12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here we see that becoming a child of God is not automatic. You have to become a child by receiving Christ and believing in him. 
Being a child of God is a privilege that only comes through accepting the Son. You only become a child of God by believing in His Son. And if you believe in Him, you get to say all these benefits apply to you. But if you don't, none of those benefits apply to you. So the question is, man, have you actually received Christ? Have you believed in His name? Have you become a child of God? But second one, are you living as a child? I think this is huge. Not just are you a child, but are you living as a child of God, enjoying all the benefits of having God as your Father? What you need to know is that God loves you. He delights in you and he is compassionate towards you. So that means when you mess up, do you run away from him or do you run towards him? He's a loving father looking out, ready for you, ready to receive you with his arms. But another reminder is this, I think it's important. His love for you is not based off your performance. A, A good question to think, are you living out of performance or acceptance? I love this, Jesus said, But before Jesus went out to do ministry, before Jesus had done anything we think about all the things he had done, before he went out, the Father says over Jesus at his baptism, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He gives him his identity and then the rest of his life is living out that identity. As a child, you're not performing to get the identity. You've already been declared over you, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Now go and live that out. The Christian life is not trying to earn God's favor. You've already been given it. It's just living it out. God is a loving father. He's not a demanding boss. So let's live in the freedom of sonship, not the slavery of work for him. And more than anything, what a father wants is not just obedience, but intimacy. I want my kids to obey me, yes, for sure. But even more than that, I want my kids to enjoy being with me. And that's what God is asking you, to enjoy him and to know that he will never leave you or forsake you. He's going nowhere. You are eternally safe with him. And lastly, I wanna to talk to the dads out there really quick. If you're a dad, I want you to think, when your kids are older, are they going to say that you made it easy for them to see God as their heavenly father, or were you a stumbling block? Are you compassionate to them? Do you open up to them emotionally? Do you tell them that you love them? Do you give them hugs where they have no doubt that you care for them? I know, you know, sometimes I'll come home and I'll see my son and, you know, I'll run up, give him a big hug and, you know, shake him out, throw him on the, you know, throw him on the couch. That's kind of, you know, what you do with sons. And I'll do all that, right? Give him a kiss and all these things. Now, when I do that, does that make him my son? No. Does it make him more my son? No. But in that moment, he's experiencing his sonship. He's experiencing the, the love of his father. As a dad, are your, are your kids experiencing your, your love? Not just do they know it intellectually, but are they experiencing it personally? But second, are you patient with them? Do you fly off the handle? Are you, have you controlled your temper, temper? Are you involved in their development? Do you step in to make sure they are becoming who God has called them to be? And lastly, are you committed to them? Do they know without a shadow of a doubt that their dad is going nowhere? And do you show them, remind them of that often? Now, I gotta be honest with you. I strive to do that. I strive to be a compassionate, patient, committed dad. But I mess up all the time. And this might be the most important part as a dad. Do your kids know that you need a heavenly father just like them? I believe one of the most powerful things we can do for our kids is acknowledge your sin to them, apologize for your mistakes, and to show them that just like them, you need a savior. To remind them that yes, you are a reflection of the heavenly father, although imperfect one, and that you need a savior just like them. 
And if you're a dad, here's what you need to know. Your heavenly father has both modeled for you and is also by his spirit empowering you to be a compassionate, patient, and committed dad. But he's also compassionate, patient, and committed to you even when you're not. You have a father who loves you. And so whoever, wherever we're walking in today, if we're a dad, if we're not a dad, if we experience, we've had a great dad or not a great dad, wherever we are, my hope today is that as we look through this passage, all of our assumptions of who God is based off earthly fathers have faded away as we see that God is compassionate towards us, that he is patient with us and he is committed to us, never going anywhere and we are safe with him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you care and you want us to know who you actually are. That you're not a father who wants us to perform. You're not a father who's quick to anger. You're not a father who's gonna go anywhere. That you are compassionate and patient. God, and committed to us. Jesus, thank you so much that you went to the cross so that we could be invited into the family, so that we can pray our father, so that right now that we can even pray to the to our heavenly father. And so Father, I pray for any of us that are working through maybe some of the different wounds from our dad or struggling with intimacy with God. God, I pray you'll use this word to help all of us know that you love us. And you're not going anywhere. Don't I pray, amen.